Hello, and welcome to the podcast of Emmanuel Assemblies of God in Knoxville, Tennessee. We're so glad you've taken the time to listen. If you're ever in our area, we invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For times and locations, please visit at EmmanuelAG.com. Father, I just thank you for this opportunity, Lord, to uh, to bring your word, to speak your word. Father, I just want to yield to what you want to say today to us. Father, give me the unction, give me the words, and give me and give us all the ears to hear, uh, to take this word into our hearts, Lord, and uh, work it out in every area of our life, Lord. But thank you for what you're doing today. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, there's a, a saying that we used to say as kids, and and uh, sticks and stones may break my bones, but... Yeah, tell me I'm not the only one who's ever heard that. Come on, words will never harm me. And you know that's not true. I mean, words can hurt, man. Words can go like an arrow, man, into your heart. Words can change just even how you, your, how you perceive yourself or how you perceive the world, right? Words can be very hurtful, very harmful. You know, people's reputations have been destroyed by not, nothing other than words, right? Right? False words. I mean, they didn't even have to do it, but but uh, they they smear people and and cha- destroy. Just a false accusation can destroy a person. You know, uh, words have sunken deep into the heart of children, made them feel just like unvalued and worthless. Words are powerful things. Relationships are destroyed every day by careless words. So so it's not exactly true. Sticks and stones can break your bones, but man, words can crush your spirit. Because words are powerful. There's an author um, in the 1800s, an English author, and he wrote, the pen is mightier than the sword. You've probably heard that one too, right? You know, what's he saying? He's saying that the word, the written word, is actually more effective than violence when it comes to trying to change uh, a society or change social, invoke social change or political change. He's, he's saying the pen the written word is actually more powerful than violence. You know, I would, I would say it like this, because, you know, you can put pressure on people. You can use force and coercion and violence, right, to try to change behavior, but you don't win hearts that way, right? But a, a, a word, uh, uh, reaching out, giving a vision, casting a vision through your words, you can capture and win a person's heart, can't you? So, you know, if you're using force and coercion uh, to to promote your agenda, I mean, it just makes me wonder how weak you really believe your idea is. Think about that. I mean, why do you have to censor people who use the wrong pronouns today? It's not about the pronouns. It's that your idea is so weak that you can't stand to have any words that oppose you. Why? Because words are carry truth. They carry ideas. And when you put the idea of the truth next to the idea that's going around, it, it, he, you know, really, really, that's, that, this is right. That's wrong, you know? So, so a weak idea can't have any opposition, right? I mean, this was what they did behind the Iron Curtain, you know, after World War II, they wouldn't let Bibles or Christian literature or anything in there. Why? Because the, their whole idea propped on a, was based on a worldview that you, it could not stand the scrutiny of, of other ideas for it to survive. And so, um, you know, you can feel the force and you can feel that, but it doesn't cause you to win uh, hearts, putting force and coercion on people. See, in the natural world, even in the natural world, words, think about this, they communicate ideas. They transmit beliefs. They share your perspective with other people. Words capture your imagination. They actually have the power to motivate people to do things that maybe they wouldn't even otherwise do. 
<laughs> Think about that. Have you ever just been motivated and, and not pressured necessarily, but just inspired to go and do something that you never even thought of before? I remember a, a, a particular preacher in one particular sermon, and, and he, he preached. And it, I, I look back on it today, and I recognize it as a turning point in my life, not because you know I got saved that day or anything, but because what he was preaching so motivated me to look at life in a bigger way. And I went and I immediately made decisions and incorporated it into my life, which changed the trajectory of my life. Words are very, very powerful. Inspiring words can actually go into your soul and into your heart and actually change your motives. And the Bible says words actually have the power to heal or destroy. You know the verse in Proverbs, Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it eat its fruits. Death and life, that's a, lot of, that's a high premium to put on words, isn't it? That's a lot of value to put on words, that words, you know, your tongue, man, carries the power of death and life. But words are more than just expressed thoughts and expressed ideas. We actually receive things from God through His Word, right? The... Uh, uh, a lot of the times when, whenever you receive, I, I can't think of an example where this is not true. Whatever you receive from God comes first as a word, as a word. He speaks. Psalm 107.20 says he sent his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. So when he saw his people in need of healing and, and uh, in need of deliverance and facing destruction, what does he do? He sends a word. That's where it comes from, a word. Salvation, we know this, salvation is ministered and given through a message, right? A message called the gospel. You know, Mark 16, 15, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel. It's a gospel, it's words, man. And, and so we're supposed to go out and proclaim, to preach, to publish a message of words, words. And that goes into a heart and changes a life. In the writer of the gospel of John, when he opens his account in John chapter one, he echoes the first verses of Genesis talking about creation. In the beginning was the word, he said, the word was with God. The word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through, all things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. So the world that we can see and touch and contact with our senses before it existed, it was first a word. And there was an idea in the mind of God that he spoke and then it came into being. Words are powerful. You know, before this thing was fashioned and formed, you know, before it was even iron ore laying in the ground somewhere, it was a word. God spoke, and it came. You can read that in Genesis, Genesis 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And then it starts a whole series of let there be, let there be. God said, God said, God said. And everything God said it came into existence. And so if the first creation happened because God spoke, God sent a word, um, the new creation is going to happen the same way. And if God can speak a word and bring everything into existence that we see that didn't exist before, how, how hard would it be for him to speak a word and uh, bring things into this creation, like salvation, like healing, like deliverance, like help for you and me, right? So his word is very important. Romans 1.16 says, I'm not ashamed. This is Paul speaking. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What's, I'm not ashamed of this published, proclaimed gospel, for it is 
what is this gospel message? These words that I'm proclaiming is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to everyone who believes. The Jew first and to also to the Greek. That's just saying that it got to the Jews before it got to the Greeks. That's what exactly what happened historically. But the, the gospel, these words that God speaks, the message of salvation is the power of God. You know, we, we, uh, we, we don't need to pray for more power. What we need is more gospel. Think about it. We need the gospel. We need the gospel proclaimed more in our churches and in our communities and in our families. We need more gospel and we need more accurate gospel, right? We need to remove the junk that doesn't work. We need to proclaim the gospel accurately. And that's how we'll walk in power. The gospel proclaimed accurately is the power of God for salvation. To water it down or to mix it with something else is to weaken it and to make it ineffective. That's why we need the pure gospel. So when we come to the book of Galatians, this is Paul's concern. He's writing to the Galatians and he's concerned that there's people who are twisting this message, who are adding things to it, who are compromising the true gospel that he had already been there and preached. And he's saying, you're mixing it. And when you, when you mix this with things that are not the gospel, it ends up not being the gospel at all. And if you read the book of Galatians, and I'm going to spend at least another week or two in Galatians. I'm not sure how long, how, until, I'm, until I'm done with it, really. But, um, but I would encourage you to go read Galatians. I mean, it's an, it's an amazing read. You can read it in 15, 20 minutes. It's not, it's not long, six short chapters. But I mean, Paul just comes out the gate swinging, man. He's, just, he's, he's mad and he's ready to fight anybody over this because he's saying this is a gospel issue. And you, you're bringing this other junk into the church that I've preached, I sowed this seed, I did it, and, and, and uh, I preached the true word of God, and you got saved, and the Spirit is working among you, and now other people are trying to bring other stuff into it, and you've got to stop it. And you've not probably read a more, in the New Testament, you've probably not read a more controversial book than the book of Galatians. It seems like almost he does everything wrong, because we would say, well, now, we got to get along and let there not be strife. And he's like, when Peter came to Antioch, I stood up to him to his face because he was wrong. <laughs> and well, God saw fit to put that in the Bible. So evidently God thinks it's a gospel issue as well, doesn't he? It's, it's important uh, to have our gospel accurate. So Galatians chapter one, I want to read verse one, Paul, an apostle. And this, I mean, his fighting words right here, not from men or through men, but through Jesus Christ. Why? Because the people who went to Galatia after him and were preaching to the churches were saying, well, Paul, yeah, he, he was, uh, <clears throat> he's not one of the original, you know, he's, uh, he didn't get it from God. He got it from us and he didn't get it exactly right. So what you need to do is you need to go ahead and yeah, do what he said, but also you need to go ahead and become a Jew, embrace Judaism, become circumcised and do all, keep the Jewish law, keep the Jewish diet. And they were in Supporting another uh, 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 an external thing into the true gospel, and it was Paul was upset because it was making the gospel not the gospel at all. So he comes swinging out the gate. I didn't come from the Jerusalem church. They didn't send me. They didn't teach me. I got this from God. So he says, I didn't get it through from men or through men, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Right there, come on. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, that is central to the gospel. There is no gospel, amen, without the, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And I don't have time to get into grace and peace, but those are loaded words as you know, right? 
But verse four, I wanna, I wanna focus on this. Who gave himself for our sins, that's what he did on the cross, to deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father to whom be glory forever and ever, amen. So he saves us from our sins and he also saves us from this present evil age. How many of you know this age is temporary? This age is going to come to an end and then we're going to all step into eternity, into the age of the new creation, right? And so I, I think it's interesting because when I read that, save us from this present evil age, I thought of other places that appears. Uh, Peter said in Acts chapter 2 and verse 40, um, with many other words, he bore witness and, and he's, he's preaching after the day of Pentecost. And he continued to exhort them saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Save yourselves from this crooked generation. In Luke chapter 9, Jesus was uh, up on the mountain praying, and he came back, and there was the, the, the man who had the son with epilepsy, the, the, the demon-possessed boy. And uh, the disciples were trying to cure him, and, and they couldn't get the job done. And you remember what Jesus said? He goes, oh, faithless and twisted generation. Faithless and twisted generation. How long am I to be to be with you and bear with you? And then he goes, bring your son to me. And he heals him, right? Because Jesus wanted to show um, what God's will was, right? So let this be a, uh, a um, put this in your heart. Your circumstances don't determine what God's will is. Well, I prayed and didn't get an answer. Well, the disciples prayed and didn't get an answer. But that didn't change God's will, right? God's will was demonstrated in Jesus. If you want to know what God's will is, you look at Jesus. You look at the word. That doesn't change. It didn't change. He's like, well, I, no, I didn't want to heal the, uh, I didn't want you to heal him. I wanted me to heal him. So I get the glory. That's not how we did. He, he would have had no right to be upset with them. I mean, he could have come down the mountain and said, well, you know, it wasn't his time to be healed because I'm the one who was supposed to do it, so I get the glory. It wasn't anything like that. He said, you should have been able to do it. How long do I have to put up with you? Bring him here to me. And he got the job done. So just because you or I fail does not mean that God's will is not for you to receive those things that he's demonstrated in his word that he has for you. Amen? So anyway, listen to this. The evil age, faithless and twisted, crooked generation. See, this is not how God created us. God didn't create you and me to be twisted and evil and perverted. And this, this age that we're living in right now is a twisted and evil perversion of the original creation of God. I mean, you don't have to look far to see that, right? That's the age we're living in now. You see, Adam and Eve were made in the image and in the likeness of God. That's how God made them. He didn't make them like that. They became like that, right? God didn't make us like that. We became like that because of sin. Humanity became twisted and perverted. But God is restoring us back to that image, the image of Jesus Christ. On Wednesday nights, I've been uh, uh, preaching from uh, um, um, Ephesians and Colossians. I want to read just a couple of verses there. Ephesians 4.24, he, he tells us to put on your new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. The new self, this is what God does for you. This is what he gives you. The new self, what created in the likeness of God, right? Adam was made in the image and in the likeness of God. Um, Ephesians 3, verse 9, don't lie to one another, seeing you've put off the old self with its practices, that's the old things you used to do, right? And put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge after the image of its creator. So God wants to restore Jesus's, the image of God in you. We're supposed to be walking, talking Jesus's to the world. 
Okay, and that doesn't mean you are Jesus, so don't don't take don't don't hear what I'm not saying, right? Don't but you are supposed to be made in the image of Jesus. He's not ashamed to call you brothers. Right? We're supposed to, I mean, you know, people get off sometimes when when they say, Well, you're trying to just act like Jesus. That is the idea. We're supposed to be like Jesus in this world. As he is, so are we in this world. That's what it says. If he's not going to be able to express himself through us, how is he going to express himself on the earth today? So the world needs to know something about who God is and who Jesus is by looking at how you and I live, how you and I love, how you and I lay down our lives for one another, how you and I get our prayers answered. Right? Everything that Jesus did was a pattern for us to follow. Even to the point where he laid down his life. Come on, you don't get in to resurrection life until you've laid down your life. Right? Now you don't have a you don't have a, maybe a physical cross, but man, there is the identifying with his crucifixion and resurrection where my old life doesn't matter anymore. I'm living for him. And that's where we're going, man, is the image of God restored in you and me. Isn't that good? That's good stuff. So uh, go back to Galatians um, chapter, uh, we're still in chapter one. Look at verse six. And this is where he, he gets all, he just, start, he just starts, man. Like I say, he just goes, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. He's saying this mixing of Judaism with what you're believing is a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. The distorted gospel of Christ is not the true gospel of Christ, is it? So we have an obligation to preach the true gospel of Christ. He says in verse 8, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. And just in case you didn't get it, he repeats it in verse 9. As we have said before, like just one sentence ago, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. So there's curses for you to try to keep the law because uh, the curse of the law, if you don't keep the whole law perfectly, you're under that curse. But if you also try to add, uh, add to the gospel, you're cursed here because <laughs> he doesn't want anybody preaching a different gospel. He says, let him be a curse. These are strong. Come on, would you agree these are strong words? These are very strong words. Um, I could imagine probably, you know, reading this in its original language when it first arrived in Galatia, man. <laughs> what your think about what your impressions would be just to read such a, a strong, heated letter. Um, he just kind of throws all the rules out the window and just starts going at it. But uh, for Paul, the gospel, the gospel wasn't a system, a new system of salvation. You know, he wasn't saying, "Hey, don't follow the Jewish rules; follow these rules instead." <laughs> I've got a list of rules. He wasn't saying that at all. He wasn't saying the gospel is a new way to be religious, you know? The religion used to be a good thing. Now it's a bad thing. Oh, I'm not trying to be religious, you know? But he's not trying to offer us a new way to be religious or even to be spiritual. He's not offering us a new way to be spiritual. There's a lot of people who think they're spiritual, right? You know, I've said it a hundred times. The spiritual person is the one who can hear the word and do it. That's the most spiritual person among us. Simple as that. It's not about how many visions you've had or dreams. The spiritual man is the one who can hear the word of God and be a doer of it. That's the spiritual man. Um, that's not to discredit visions or dreams. Those are real. But I'm just saying the measure of spirituality, amen, is being able to be a doer of the word. So, uh, he, he, so he's not given a new way to be spiritual. He's not even giving good advice. You know, the Bible is filled with good advice, right? 
And what's good advice? Good advice is, man, do this and you'll have a better life. Do this and, and things will go better for you. But he's giving us the gospel, which means the good news. What's the difference between good news and good advice? Good advice is, hey, here's something you should do. Work it into your life. Things will go well for you. Good news is, hey, did you hear what had happened? It's past tense. Something happened that make, opens up a whole new world of possibilities for you and me. Something has happened that the world is a different place now. There are new, new avenues to be explored. There's a new life we can walk into because something has happened. That's the gospel. It's good news. I'm going to do my best to summarize the, the gospel that Paul preached. It's very simple. Jesus, Israel's Messiah, was crucified. He's now exalted as the king of the world, and he's calling into existence a single worldwide family of those who believe in him. That's the gospel. Now, that's loaded with theological importance, but that's the gospel. Jesus, crucified, exalted to the right hand of the Father, calling all who will believe in him to be one body, one new man, one family on the earth. And that's what we need to rally around. That's worth fighting for, amen? And so when we hear this message and we believe, uh, believe the message, God's Spirit goes to work in our hearts. It's, it's, this, is, this is the supernatural part of the gospel. It's not just an intellectual agreement because when we believe that and we hear that and the Holy Spirit begins to move, he takes us out of the power of the devil in this world, out of the kingdom of darkness of what translates us, places us, gives us a place in his kingdom, right? He, uh, he get, makes us a part of the new creation. We become born again. Our shortcomings and our sins are forgiven and he makes us right with him. He gives us right standing with him. Is the Bible word righteousness. He makes us right with him. We are righteous before him. And then we receive the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the life of God himself. All of these, let me ask you this, what part of that do I contribute to? <laughs> I'm powerless to do any of that on my own, amen? But that happens when I believe the gospel. That's what he does in us. That's, so Paul is saying, this is, you know, we can resist the gospel. We know that. And we can live a life in such a way that we're, we'd be more conducive to receiving the gospel. We, we don't want to resist him. I mean, when the sower sows the word, it fell on four different kinds of soil in the parable, right? Not every soil produced fruit and not every soil produced the same degree of fruit. Yet the word was perfect right? So I can respond to the gospel, but when I do respond to the gospel, the miracle that happens in me is way beyond anything that I can do of my own. I can't make this happen for me. And he says, this is the true gospel. Beware of cheap imitations because they are a curse, not a blessing. So as he's trying to defend this whole view, he goes off in chapter two and, and, and you can read it. I preached on that, I think, uh, two weeks ago. But I want to skip ahead to chapter three, if you'll go there with me, because he's trying to um, build his case on the power of the gospel and the gospel alone working, the true gospel working in the church. And so he starts off in verse one of chapter three. He says, oh, foolish Galatians. That's a strong word, isn't it, Jay? I mean, Jesus said, you call your brother a fool, you're in danger of hellfire. That's what Jesus said. And here Paul starts off chapter three, oh, foolish Galatians. It's a strong rebuke. Who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Did you receive God's spirit because you kept the law or did you receive God's spirit because you heard the gospel that I preached to you and you believed it? 
And he's basing this argument on the fact that the Spirit is actually working in their lives and in their church in an undeniable way. Think about that. If it was just made up or imaginary, this would not be an argument at all, would it? Are you with me, right? He's saying, you are experiencing something among you that you didn't experience before. The Holy Spirit is working in your church. He's working among you. You're seeing miracles. You're seeing things happen that you've never seen before. How did you get that? By keeping the law or by hearing with faith? Yeah, that's good, isn't it? And I like how he says, um, it was before your eyes that Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified. You know, we're, we're going to receive communion. We'll take communion together today. What do we do when we take the bread and the body? It says that we are um, uh, proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. It's part of what we do in communion. It says, as often as we do this, we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he returns. You know, why is that important? I mean, you, you, you know this, right? If Jesus hadn't been crucified, there'd be no remission of sins. <laughs> We'd still be lost. We could not be reconciled to God. You know, even our identity with Jesus Christ. In, in Galatians 2.20, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So, you know, that verse right there is so powerful. But if he hadn't died, I couldn't be identified with his death because he wouldn't have died. So my life, I would still be alive. Either that or I would have to die for myself right? There comes the substitutionary death of Jesus Christ. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and, praise God, gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. So I'm made righteous. I'm made right with him because of his death for me. It was, for, it was not for no reason, double negative, right? It was not for no reason that he died. The crucifixion, of course, is central to everything that he did in his salvation plan. He goes on in verse three. He says, are you so foolish? Having begun in the spirit, begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain. What's he saying there? You remember um, a couple of weeks ago, I was, I was explaining how the, the Christians were taking fire from both the Jews and the Romans, man. They were both uh, uh, hitting them from both sides. And honestly, in their cultural context that they were in at the time, it would have been a lot easier for them to escape persecution by identifying themselves as Jewish. And it just would have. They had an exception for all the imperial cult and all that stuff going on. They wouldn't have had to go worship incense to Caesar and all that if they could have just claimed that they were Jews too because the Jews had a special uh, exception. As long as they would, they, they finally, you know, the Jews were stubborn people. They were not going to do it. <laughs> and so as long as they prayed for Caesar, instead they didn't have to pray to Caesar. That's kind of what it amounted to. But by identifying as Jews, then um, the Jews are like, all right, well, you need to do... Keep the law, man. Keep the diet. Keep the circumcision. Let's do this. And he's saying, no, don't. Don't go into Judaism. I know it'd be easier. It'd be an easier way. But what you've suffered was not in vain because it's a gospel issue. Don't mix anything with the gospel. And that's, all. I'm, you know, you look at history and you look at people who've suffered for the gospel. And man, until, until you and I get a chance to walk through it, I can't. 
I can't judge people of how they've had to compromise or, or what they've had to do in their heart, what they perceive to be truly following God, you know. But um, it's amazing to me how many people will take a stand for the gospel and just die on these principles when they could have had an easier way out. I mean, would it have been so bad for them just to say, oh, we'll embrace Judaism and we'll be completed Jews? And Paul was like, no, that, that, that's not the true gospel. And these people were willing to take a stand and they died for the truth. So he's saying, don't, you didn't suffer for nothing. <laughs> you suffered for the gospel. And so he says, um, Having begun in the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? You know, like I said, for there's a, there's a great temptation for Christians all over the world to perfect in the flesh what God has begun in, the, begun in the spirit. It's a temptation. For Paul's readers, like I said, the temptation was to adopt Jewish customs and beliefs. For us, you know, sometimes we get a little impatient waiting on God to change a person. So what do we do? We want to add a few extra rules of our own. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, that's great. Now that you're born again, now that you said that, now that you said the sinner's prayer, I got a list of things for you to start doing. <laughs> you know? Uh, and, and the thing is, we've got to allow room for the spirit to work. When the spirit does it, behave, make no mistake about it, there will be a change of behavior, right? You know what I say about putting off the old man with his practices and putting on the new, right? There will be a change of behavior when you come to God. I'm not preaching a gospel that lets the sinner remain in your sin. Um, it was, I think it was Jay Wilkerson who would, would have been David Wilkerson. You know, David Wilkerson from uh, uh, Teen Challenge and all that amazing story um, who, who went to New York all those years ago to rescue the gangs. It was his grandfather, I believe, who said, the heart of the gospel is change. You know, how do you know it's where you see change? You, you might not see the radical change that you expect, but you, you'll see changes in heart, changes in attitude, you know? And, and it, may, it may be instant. Man, I know I've got a couple of friends who when they got saved, I've, I asked them. I knew they had done drugs and different things in the past. And I'd say, man, how did, how, how did you get off the drugs, you know? Because working in the inner city, you meet people all the time who are addicted. And I was like, how did you get off? And both of them, their testimony was, man, I got saved. <laughs> I guess God just delivered them. They met Jesus Christ. The power of God came on them. They were saved. But you know, there are people who also come to God and they have to work through it, right? They work through it. But what now they're, they're, they're not celebrating it, man. They're, they're, they're grieved by it. They're, they're, it's a, it's a thing that they don't want to do anymore. Their want to has changed. That's the spirit of God, just the same working through them, right? So you don't let people go like that. Oh, you, you sinner, you, you missed it now. You know, you know what? I thought you were saved. That's not the message they need to hear at that moment. They need to hear, um, man, so it bothers you now, huh? <laughs> well, that's the spirit of God working in you because if God wasn't working in you, you would not be bothered by this, right? Keep going, keep going because I believe in you. God believes in you. You're created to bear the image of Jesus Christ. Don't stop. So we're all in different stages and that's good. That's good. We need to be. We need to be surrounded with people in different stages, people coming in who maybe know nothing about the gospel at all people who've been walking with God for decades. We need that. It strengthens us. And so where in the world did I get that? Oh yeah, the heart of the gospel is change. And so there are things that we can do, like I said, that will help us flourish in the gospel. There's things that we can do to resist it. 
Um, but we cannot overcome sin and selfishness by our own strength. It's only by the power of the Holy Spirit. It's only by what God has done in us. So he says, did you, are you so foolish having begun by the Spirit? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain? If indeed it was in vain, in verse five, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Here he comes back to that same idea again, right? The Spirit is working among you. How did this happen? How did it start? Because you kept the law? No, because you heard the message I preached. You heard it with faith. You believed it and these things started working among you. And that is exactly how it works. It's as simple as hearing and believing and then your life is never the same again. That's the miracle of the new birth. So basically when the news of Jesus' resurrection and lordship is proclaimed, somehow, somehow, that's a good theological word, isn't it? Somehow, by the power of the Holy Spirit, he goes to work in your heart and makes you a new creation, makes you a new person. That's how you receive the spirit of God. That's how you receive salvation. That's how you receive miracles. See, we've made things more complicated than it is. We have, and, and, and I know exactly why is because we set out to believe God and we hit resistance. Well, sometimes you hit resistance, sometimes you don't. But the world is not working for us, it's working against us, amen? The devil is not working for God, he's working against God, right? So when you see resistance, what happens? You come up with a failure. Okay, I didn't get it. Now, why did I not get it? Now we evaluate. Now we come up with a doctrine of why I failed. You with me? Doctrines of failure. All right, I prayed, I didn't get my answer. All right, well, here must be why. And we come up with a whole list of things that we think we need to have. And, and as we go on, my list gets longer and longer and longer. And you can go to a bookstore and you can buy books with all these things that you need to do. You know, 25 curses that block the blessing or whatever. I'm just making up a title. But I mean, we, we come up with all of these things that we need to do and overcome now before we can receive from God. And what does he say? No, it's by hearing with faith. Let's keep it simple. Keep it simple. He's got so much for us, but we got to not add to it, you know? We've imported a lot of our own traditions into the gospel. And this is for salvation. This is for receiving miracles. This is for receiving provision, for healing. We just don't want to add stuff to it, right? The biggest hindrance sometimes to our receiving from God is the fact that we believe that somewhere out there, there are hindrances, and if you're connected to God, tell, seated with him in heavenly places, tell me what kind of hindrance should there be for you? I mean, if you and I were unsaved and somebody preached the word and we believed it and became a Christian, man, now that we're joined together with him, how much easier should it be to receive from him? Come on, he's got stuff for us, doesn't he? Look, this is exactly how they did it in the scripture. Look at um, Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11, Peter um, had gone to Cornelius' house, right? They weren't even sure that Gentiles could be saved at this point, but he goes there and he preaches to them. And um, in chapter 11, that was chapter 10, chapter 11, he's going back to the church telling them what happened. And at the time, they're ready to just jump on him because he went into a Gentile's house and it was unclean and all that stuff. And so he's telling them, you know, the whole story about how I saw this vision and the Lord sent me there to go there and everything. But listen to this. Um, they get to his house and he's recounting the story in verse 13. And it says, and he, that would be Cornelius, told us how he had seen an angel stand in his house and say, send to Joppa and bring Simon, who is called Peter. Listen to verse 14. And he will declare to you a message by which you will be saved, you and all your household. 
He's not going to bring an army. He's not going to bring techniques. He's just going to bring a message, right? A word, a message by which you'll be saved. So what's he do? Verse 15, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as at the beginning. It was just that easy. As he's speaking, the Holy Spirit. And, and did Peter even have faith to believe that the Gentiles could be saved? It was a stretch for him just to go into their house. He was as surprised as they were. And as, as he's speaking, the message, the Holy Spirit fell on them. Simple as that. Easy, squeezy, lemon peasy, right? Does he who supply the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? hearing with faith. Acts chapter 14, go over there a couple of chapters. Look at verse eight. This is Paul. He's speaking in Lystra. There was a man who could not use his feet. He was crippled from birth and he had never walked. Verse nine, he had listened to Paul speaking and Paul looking intently at him, seeing that he had faith to be made well, said in a loud voice, stand up right on your feet. And he sprang up and began walking. How'd that happen? He was listening to Paul speaking. And then Paul spoke a command of faith that he obeyed. Paul didn't even lay hands on him, didn't jerk him up, nothing. It was, the, it was purely the word spoken because God's word is powerful. You know, I don't know exactly what um, Paul had been preaching. I don't know what he said there, uh, you know, immediately before because it doesn't record it. We just know that Paul was going from town to town preaching this gospel that he preached, the same gospel that he's defending in the book of Galatians, right? But I can tell you what Peter preached. Do you want to know what Peter preached? Of course you do. Just nod your head. Yes. Go to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. Starting at verse 34. So Peter's over there at Cornelius' house, and this is, the, this is the message. Listen to the key points, the crucifixion, the resurrection of Jesus, okay? So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality. Right there, that's talking about God's family, right? Uh, from the whole world. God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word uh, that he sent to Israel preaching the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. He is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power and went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of, of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree, but God raised him, on the third day, and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as a witness, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him and receives it believes in him, receives forgiveness of sins through his name. While Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit interrupted Peter. <laughs> That's enough. <laughs> okay, you stop now. I'm gonna go ahead and do my work. And while he was preaching this, I mean, what's, what is that? that? That's Jesus Christ crucified, raised to the right hand. Anybody who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin. Come on, it's beautiful, isn't it? Let's not make it harder than it is. Because that's supernatural. 
right there. That is supernatural. That is the power of God unto salvation. This was the message that turned the world upside down. You know, um, this was the message that they were willing to give their lives for. You go back to Acts chapter four, they're putting them in jail, locking them up and saying, whatever you do, don't preach in the name of Jesus anymore. That's what they were against. This message right here, this is what keeps the devil awake at night, is this message right here. When you get it on your lips and in your heart, man, we, we give him a headache. <laughs> The devil's looking for the Excedrin or the Motrin or whatever because the Christians have got the word of God in their heart and in their mouth. And that's what we're speaking. That's the message that changed the world. That's the message that the disciples went to the cross for. You know, we don't need a new theology on healing. We don't. We don't need theology on healing. What we need to do is we need to experience the exalted Jesus in our lives. That's what we need. Think about it. We don't need a new teaching on deliverance. What we need is an understanding of who Jesus is at the right hand of power and what he wants to do through you. That's what we need. You know, this is the message that convicted us of sin. This is the message that brought us salvation. It's the message of the cross. What's the Bible say? Foolishness to those who are perishing, but those, to those who are being saved, it's the power of God. So if I could, can I get the band just to come up and get our last song ready? And as we prepare our hearts to receive the Lord's Supper, I just want to encourage you um, from these words in the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 2. What am I going to do, you guys? <laughs> Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. It says, Therefore we must pay closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. We're talking about the gospel message. He's saying that message that was first proclaimed to you, we need to pay much closer attention, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Our salvation is in this message. We need to pay attention to the message and not neglect it. It says this message was declared first by the Lord. It was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witnesses by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. This is a warning to those of us who have heard to pay much closer attention. Let's, let's, let's not let go of the simplicity of the gospel. Amen? As we get ready to uh, receive the communion, I'm going to move out of the way here, guys. Um, just as they sing this song, let's go ahead and uh, just come forward and receive the elements. Um, after you do, take it back to your seat with you, and then we'll receive communion together. <laughs>